Welcome. This is EIG, Milwaukee's philanthropic community, with your host, Jill Economo, on News Talk 1130 WISN. Good morning, everyone. Thank you for joining us today for Milwaukee's philanthropic community, where we highlight people and organizations who are doing great things by helping others in our community. And as a result, they're making a big impact. I'm your host, Jill Economo, Director of Community Outreach at Ellen Becker Investment Group. I have one word for you today that can bring to mind so many wonderful memories, especially at this time of year, and that word is traditions. Do you or your family have some kind of holiday tradition that you do to bless someone or perhaps many people every year? I feel like there are so many different options. Uh, My kids and I have done what we affectionately call our McMission, where we would collect coats, hats, and mittens and pass out McDonald's hamburgers and chicken sandwiches to the homeless in the city. It was great fun, and everybody was so appreciative. We also receive a number of magazines from organizations looking for donations for people in need around the world, like Compassion International, Samaritan's Purse, World Vision, to name a few. There are many of the opportunities with nonprofits that we've interviewed on this show. So listen up because we're going to give you some more options if you're looking for a home for your holiday giving this year that can make a great impact. My first guest today is Sister McCannon Brown, Executive Director of the McCannon Brown Homeless Sanctuary. Welcome to the show today, Sister McCannon. It's a joy and an honor to be here. Thank you for the welcome. You're welcome. You're welcome. Well, you have led grassroots efforts impacting Milwaukee's most vulnerable residents for over 29 years. So tell us what your background is and and why did this become your life focus? Well, I was raised in a very religious home in my growing up years in Iowa. I was in a family of Protestant generational clergy, and I came here in 1986 to Milwaukee as a newly divorced person to continue a promising artistic career, signed with the Wisconsin Arts Board and doing work with Art Reach in Milwaukee. I went through a storm where clearly God showed me a plan B. (laughs) Thank goodness for the plan B, right? (laughs) Then this new undisputable path clearly emerged where everywhere I went, the events and the people around me tied into homeless outreach. All the doors that opened at that time happened to be Catholic. I prayed and received to my great wonderment, my parents' complete blessing as I converted. Very soon after that, I made a vow to help homeless people, and apparently God was paying attention because I was soon invited to be part of the Repairs of the Breach organization and help its tiny homeless newspaper, then became its newspaper editor and director, and steered the organization at that point along with the late Tony Lee to become the first daytime homeless sanctuary in Milwaukee. From that point on, my journey has been nonstop, 24-7. And we actually uh, interviewed Repairs of the Breach, great organization, Mm -hmm. so thank you for the efforts and the work that you did there. But you're currently leading a nonprofit organization that was launched in 2014 that carries your name, the Sister McCannon Brown Homeless Sanctuary. So... How did this come into being, and what is its mission? 
when I parted ways after 22 years of helping to grow repairs of the breach, um, I parted ways and a small group of people close to me believed that Milwaukee needed my work to continue and they chose to form a new nonprofit. It was their idea. I opposed their putting my name on it, but they overruled me. <laughs> so we do have a very unique mission and vision uh, as we began this organization with only a tiny board of directors, no financial resources, no human resources, but a vision and the licensing of the organization. Here's our mission vision statement. The McCannon-Brown Homeless Sanctuary purpose and mission is to be a daytime sanctuary and multi-resource center for homeless and at-risk homeless individuals. It's a place to be, belong, and become within a transformational solidarity community, interfaith, nonpartisan, intercultural, and non-canonical. We are a racially and economically diverse family of hope who seek to strengthen Milwaukee's overwhelmed safety net. Mm, that's who that's we are. Yeah. That's more exciting than our building, which is very amazing, but who we are is far more exciting than that. Absolutely. Well, and why you do what you do. I mean, we love to share that with our audience because it's, again, we're here to inform, inspire, and impact. And when you hear how people are really using their talents to make an impact in some way, and I understand that that um, there's a congratulations here because you are being honored by Positively Milwaukee as one of the most inspiring Milwaukeeans of 2021. So your work is being recognized and honored. So congratulations for Thank that. Thank you for that. Yes. Um, so tell us who you serve then and, and what you offer at the Homeless Sanctuary. Yes, we are in the most um, impoverished uh, and food-scarce area of Wisconsin. We're in Census District 88, which has the most extreme indicators of chronic health, uh, chronic disease, chronic health problems, and uh, of the most extreme poverty. That's exactly where God sent us, and the people there are very appreciative of what we're doing because they are getting resources they could not otherwise access and we're providing food and other essentials during the pandemic while our building is under construction. And so is that why you refer to the area as Milwaukee's Calcutta? Yes, exactly. The poverty is profound and the people, many of them don't have vehicles and, if, and don't know people with vehicles and there's no retail presence. There's hardly any retail presence for food access. Oh. So the first thing that we realized when we became established there was that people were very undernourished and they were scarce on food. And isn't it um, the zip code 53206? Yeah. Isn't that? Okay, mm -hmm. okay. Just for a point of reference, because wasn't there a yeah. movie or a, some show done on you know that particular zip code at, yes. a, a while back? Um, the homeless sanctuary owns and is transforming this five-story warehouse and also transforming nearby vacant lots. What what are the plans and where are you in that whole process? Yes, we are creating a major help center with a um, wide scope of resources. We're 
very much getting into the creation of that happening truly up until now we haven't been able to get very far with it we were before the pandemic but then because of the uh, social limitations we could only do more like giving away distributing of these crucial resources which we do large scale 30 volunteers in one event it takes 30 volunteers to serve the 120 150 people standing in line mm-hmm. outside for their number to be called but we've created community we've had a nurse presence we've given out 7000 face masks we do a lot for our people giving them all kinds of support in their need for resources but we haven't achieved occupancy yet we will achieve it very soon because i was just in our phase 1 nearing completion last week and the wall coverings the floor coverings the plumbing the furnace the air conditioning everything is nearly done there so then we can give people the toolbox but every floor of this building will have purpose we have moved forward with amazing velocity with all kinds of people of expertise offering donated and discounted work and just have an incredible uh, core of of volunteers we have over 700 volunteers 108 faith communities 1500 financial donors large and small and clearly God's hand is on this ministry where the need is so great. Mm, that's wonderful that you're seeing it um, close to completion. That's got to be super exciting for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, we understand that food insecurity is a big problem for the population that you serve, which led you to choose food production as a major priority for your organization. And it explains why your phase one project includes a nutritional meal program and a future project uh, being an aquaponics system. Uh, we're going to actually take a quick commercial break right now. But when we return, we're going to learn how the homeless sanctuaries agriculture programs are going to bring hope to the homeless and make food production a priority. So stay tuned, and we'll be right back. Thanks for tuning in. This is EIG, Milwaukee's philanthropic community, with your host, Jill Economo, on News Talk 1130 WISN. Welcome back. I'm your host, Jill Economo, and I'm talking today with Sister McCannon-Brown from the McCannon-Brown Homeless Sanctuary. So, Sister, your response to witnessing the food scarcity and the undernutrition of the majority of your guests really led you to choose food production as a major priority. So how will your urban agriculture programs bring hope and reverse this poverty and homelessness issue? We had truly some aha moments when we began our doorway ministry. Our guests who had lived in extreme food scarcity before we arrived at 2461 West Center. They were so happy when we began to bring in fresh produce from Feeding America and a university school garden. Guests at first were amazed to find out it was free. It was given out with kindness, with no hoops to go through. Mm. We have acquired two nearby vacant lots now And for three years, our 26 raised garden beds on these lots have produced bountifully 
We've shared those harvests with our guests and with our community partner, Trickle Bee Cafe. Meanwhile, we have step-by-step progressed in our planning for an aquaponics system on third floor. It's not far off in time when actual installation will begin, with MSOE being a very good partner. And also, our plans include solar greenhouses on a third floor rooftop, as well as the aquaponics system, which will be year-round. As it evolves, what we grow in our food system will be utilized in our future first floor meal program. That is in the works. That planning is clearly in the works and fundraising. People will be healthier. We've already seen the improvements in people's health in that uh, in our population. Their immune systems will be stronger and the toxicity from lead contamination will be reversed. We have the help of Nagel Architects and Kabbalah Washako Architects uh, with our green spaces and our gardens. The complex urban agricultural system we are building now will serve as an employment hub for neighborhood residents and guests who live in hardship. We look forward to developing and hiring a number of people from the neighborhood to be part of that system. And that was actually a question I had. Um, You know, I jotted that down because you're doing so many wonderful things and what an opportunity for local residents to be involved you know, Jill, from an employment standpoint. And when we talk about something new is happening in, in, the, 20, in the 53206 neighborhood, so that verse in Isaiah of 4319 where God says, Behold, something new is happening. Mm. I'm doing something new. Um, that's about us because we already have 12 part-time employees, seven of whom are from the central city and who have been through hardship and homelessness. Mm, and that's, that's wonderful. That's our model, you yeah. know, so that will go grow into even more people being hired mm. uh, to do this employment with the food systems. This will transform and is already beginning to transform a neighborhood that has been blighted with hunger, poverty, and homelessness, and we hope to have it become very sustainable based mm-hmm. on our presence there. And you think about all the things they're learning. You know, the the residents will come or, or maybe the people that are going to be employed there, they're going to learn so much about nutrition and healthy options, and then they're going to share that with their kids and could have a domino effect. You know, yes. it's, it's wonderful. Thank you. Um, we all know that the pandemic created severe challenges for many people, especially those that uh, were experiencing poverty and homelessness. How has the pandemic affected your ministries in particular? It called us to rise to the challenge. You know, we had then our numbers tripled at our doorway ministry. Mm. We had been serving, um, because we were fairly new there, 30 to 50 households and individuals per week, providing food, clothing, essentials um, out of that doorway ministry. Uh, And they were, that included people living on the street and the doubled up homeless, which are also homeless people, but people living under a roof, but really crowded together into an apartment or into a house, uh, such as very representative of that neighborhood. So we had 30 to 50, and we had begun offering a meal program, offering other programs, 
but that was at a church nine blocks away while our building was under construction. Then that church closed. Mm. So then we put all of our energy around our doorway ministry, and that's when the numbers tripled, and it became, ah, this is what we need to do. These people are hungry. They stand for more than an hour in the cold, in sub-zero temperatures, in rain and snow, waiting their turn for their number to be called to come in and get a week's supply of food and with social distancing, these other essentials. And so we rose to it. We, we have 30 volunteers who are our front line. Every time we do this, twice a week, uh, have our doorway ministry, and the numbers are 120 to 150. We have all of these faith communities and, and uh, donors pulling up, opening their trunks, and providing us with this food to continue to supply all these people. At first, we ran out of food the first few times, but now we we appeal, and we appeal for coats and blankets, and these are people in need. They stand in line for toilet tissue. They mm-hmm. stand in line for diapers, and and for the food especially. And many of them are disabled and elderly on walkers. Mm. Most of them don't have cars, so we give suitcases with wheels for them to No, But we have risen to this challenge, plus we've given them nutritious food and a nurse presence to educate them as to where they can get vaccinated and other things they need to do. So we, we have um, been uh, really crucial uh, during this time, and it is, it is just such an honor and a privilege to serve God in a way that people can really get it that God hears the cry of the poor. Right, right. We are the ones who are there, and there's so many people participating. It's just grown from nothing, Mm -hmm. no financial resources, no human resources. Now we have all of these people involved, some of them with expertise, and some of them just simply kind people, caring people who are helping us do what we're doing and move our building forward and and do all the things we're doing and plan to do. Yeah, and it makes me think about that, you know, God doesn't ever waste a challenge, right? You know, there's we talk about some challenging issues. Homelessness, poverty, those are challenging issues. But we, and we're not turning a blind eye towards it, obviously, but we want to look at what is coming out as a result of that. So you talk about how all these people are coming together and, you know, yes, this is a challenge that uh, this area is experiencing, but then you look at how God turns that in an opportu- into an opportunity to bless somebody, right? And and there's the recipient and the and the one giving the blessing. You know, it's it's a twofold type of thing. It's it's wonderful how it's yes, it's it's a challenge, but there are so many people that are doing wonderful things, and good things come out as as a result. Um, You know, you talked about a lot of different things today, a lot of really good things and things that you're doing uh, as you're rising to the challenge, as you say. What would you say is your most significant need at this time? We are in serious need of an elevator. Of our five-story building, floors two through five contain nearly 78% of our total available floor space, but they're unusable right now due to building code requirements because of the lack of an operating elevator. We have a freight elevator. We love it. It works well. 
but we need a regular elevator in this new new part for transporting people. We built the pit and the shed, and we can't really proceed with our plans to develop the other floors until we have a working a, a good working elevator, okay. as I'm describing. So that that's your be, that's a um, a need that can that's an ongoing thing that you're raising money for. Yes, it's a price tag four hundred thousand. Okay, but we also as Christmas is here. We, we also, um, we have brought Christmas to that neighborhood in our six-year presence there. Uh, before we came, people, the majority of the people we serve said that they really did not have, they did not, it was not usual for them to have toys and gifts for their children or family members. So we have brought Christmas of a large-scale, well-organized, well-planned, very abundant uh, giving out of Christmas gifts and toys. Okay, so mid-December is a time that you would um, pass out or share the gifts that have been shared with you. So if there's somebody listening that would like to participate in that and bless a family or some children in some way, you can reach out to Sister McCannon Brown Homeless Sanctuary and see if you can get some gifts over there, the early part of uh, December. Um, so again, lots, lots of interesting things that you shared today. Thank you for that. If somebody wants to get a hold of you or find out more about your organization, how, what's the best way for them to do that? Our website, that is um, M as in mother, B as in brown, sanctuary.org, or you can call 414-404-0600. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Sister McCannon-Brown, for sharing your passion with us about the McCannon-Brown Homeless Sanctuary. And again, if anybody wants to bless that organization, uh, reach out to the number that Sister shared um, to find out how you can do that. Or, as we say all the time, you can pray for their mission. Um, It doesn't cost a thing, and anybody can do it. So, uh, you do have a way that you can bless them. If not with, uh, mo- if not monetarily, you can bless them with prayer. So, uh, thank you for for being here today. Uh, Sister talked about some partnerships that they have that have helped them fulfill their mission and their vision. So, stay tuned because when we return, we're going to actually talk with one of them to better understand how they are making a difference in their own way. We'll learn more when we return. You're listening to EIG, Milwaukee's philanthropic community, with your host, Jill Economo, on News Talk 1130 WISN. Welcome back to Milwaukee's philanthropic community, brought to you by Ellen Becker Investment Group. I'm your host, Jill Economo. And my next guest today is Reverend Christy Melby Gibbons, who is the executive director of Trickle Bee Cafe, who works closely with the McCannon-Brown Homeless Sanctuary on providing food to some of their residents. So welcome to the show today, Reverend Christie. Thank you. I'm grateful to be here and to share the story of Trickleby. I'm happy to hear and and, uh, have you share with our listening audience today. Why don't you start by telling us where the name comes from? Yes, I I should print this and post it somewhere because people (laughs) ask all the time. It's a totally made-up word. Trickleby is a word that I heard as a child as one solid word when my mom would talk about if we were doing a project. She'd say, yeah, we could do that. The trick will be finding enough people. The uh-huh. trick will be finding enough money. <laughs> <laughs> I 
<laughs> so uh, it was easy to incorporate because it was not a word before we did that. And now we say the trick will be sustaining a restaurant where people don't have to pay for their food. And uh, the trick will be offering real food in a neighborhood that struggles to find it. I love that. That's an easy way for people to remember, right? Yes. You know, that'll be a, a they can put those things, those ideas together. Mm-hmm. Um, what led you to start the this idea of a pay what you can community cafe? I'm ordained in the Moravian Church, and I was serving a Moravian congregation in the L.A. area in Southern California. And we were the congregation was offered a chance to rescue food from a grocery store and a bakery where the sell-by date had newly passed, and we would rescue it (laughs) pre-dumpster and bring it back to the church building. We'd give it out to anyone who needed it, and then we had excess, so we started making these meals and opening the door. We called it Open Table, and dozens of neighbors would come in off the street and eat, and it was a a real motley crew of people (laughs) that would maybe never eat at a table together. Um, We had homeless neighbors. We had people in various stages of addiction and recovery. We had people with mental health issues. We had undocumented neighbors, lonely widowers who were wealthy. Everybody ate together, and we helped prepare the food, set the table, eat together, and then clean up. And that was one of the things that nourished my spirit and my call at that church. And after five years of doing that weekly meal, I thought, I think this is my real calling, is to do this more full-time So I asked the denomination if I could start a restaurant um, under the auspices of the church and say um, people can eat here regardless of their ability to pay. And they said yes, and then I had to get busy actually formulating this dream into a reality. (laughs) So we um, moved back to the Midwest, where I'm from, and started a pay-what-you-can community cafe that's part of a broader network called One World Everybody Eats. And there are about 30 other cafes like ours in the U.S. that are operating. Really? Mm-hmm. Okay. So it's a it's a um, an online presence that people can go to and find out more about called One World Everybody Eats? Yes. If they look huh. it up online, it's a, there's an interactive map where they show all the existing cafes and startup cafes and sort of all the marks that are the same for each of our different contexts. Huh, very interesting. Mm-hmm. I think about the conversations, too, that must be had at those tables. When you talk about, you know, a diverse group of people coming together, wouldn't it be interesting to be a fly on the wall and listen to all the, the conversations that happen and between old and young and, you know, people that don't look like yourself, you know, just just... I think that that would be wonderful just to sit in and oh, listen it's, it's listen beautiful. to. It's beautiful. People have said of Trickleby that it's one of the only places in the city where they see true diversity of ethnic background, economic status, age, uh, religious background. Everybody's there together. No one really knows who works there, who's volunteering, who's a customer. Mm. It's just this kind of beautiful mess. Nice. <laughs> Lots of joy. Yes, yeah. I imagine. Mm-hmm. Well, how did your upbringing influence your relationship with food. I mean, why is why is that where you wanted to focus your efforts? So I grew up on a 100-acre homestead in rural northeast Iowa, uh, literally living off the land. We had big gardens. We foraged a little bit. Some hunter friends would, would share their, um, their meat back in my meat-eating days. Um, so I remember picking carrots right out of the ground, hitting the dirt off, eating them, grabbing Mm. the strawberries right out of the patch. So that was my very earliest years. 
But we also, um, not being a very wealthy family, shopped at the discount bread stores and the sale racks at the grocery store. So we had a lot of, you know, the cheap, easy, not-so-healthy things. We were a frugal family, um, but we were also generous. And I remember one of the first times um, my parents invited us to hand some food out the window to someone at a traffic light. and Maybe it was a bunch of bananas or apples. And I remember being aware in that moment that it was more than food that was being passed. It was a a spiritual connection with this human being who has hunger like I do. And that left a mark on me um, in many ways. And I used to play restaurant all the time as a child. (laughs) I had little printed menus and play food. Wow, printed menus too. Wow. (laughs) My parents (laughs) sit and I made them eat the food I made. And (laughs) they recently sent me my box of play food and it's at the cafe so kids can play with it. It's very cute. Wonderful. Uh, in high school, I also was um, helping to coordinate food drives. It just was a part of my um, my whole upbringing until I became an adult and just kept on going. And eating with people around meals is one of the most sacred things we can do. It's one thing that we all do. We all eat. And if you look at the biblical stories of Jesus and most of his interactions, he's eating with people. And he even got in trouble for eating too much with people. They called him a glutton, (laughs) a drunkard. I mean, he was always out eating with people. And I remember sharing with my son when he would say, Mom, why do I have a curfew? Why do I have to come? I said, because I learned that the the families that eat together and pray together stay together, Mm -hmm. right? So, you know, with every... I'm sure so many families can identify with uh, during the week, everybody's going in 16 different directions, right? Yes. And to say, we are going to come together for a meal. (laughs) If it's the last thing we do today, you know, we're just going to come together and spend this quality time together. Uh, And it was, it's, it was wonderful. Um, And you talk about foraging as a kid. It just reminded me of a book I just bought where it talks about going out and foraging plants in the forest uh, for medicinal purposes. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, I much prefer a, a natural remedy to a, a, a drug. And so it, in, it interested me. And I got the book and I thought, oh my goodness, there are so many things that are right in our backyard oh, that people yeah. could use, not only for medicinal purposes, but for food. Mm-hmm. Food you know, is it, medicine. Yes, yep. yes. It Hippocrates, is. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you both are Iowans, too. We made yes. that, that connection uh, uh, as well. Reverend Christie and Sister McCannon are both from Iowa. So, Well, I listened to a, a podcast a few weeks ago about being an impact player, both personally and professionally. And it talked about how impact players not only do what is expected of them, but then they step up and they lead and they go that extra mile to get done what's really needed. So stay tuned because when we return, we're going to learn how Trickle B Cafe is being an impact player and impacting people directly in their own neighborhood. So stay tuned and we'll be right back. Thanks for tuning in. This is EIG, Milwaukee's philanthropic community, with your host, Jill Economo, on News Talk 1130 WISN. Welcome back to Milwaukee's philanthropic community, brought to you by Ellen Becker Investment Group. I'm your host, Jill Economo, Director of Community Outreach. And in this last segment today, I'm talking with Reverend Christy Melby Gibbons from the Trickleby Cafe. So I said before the break that an impact player is someone who goes above and beyond, goes that extra mile, if you will, 
I remember a saying that said it's lonely along the extra mile, which means not too many people go there, right? Um, I would say, Reverend Christie, that you are indeed an, an impact player. Uh, why don't you explain how you're impacting people directly in your neighborhood? We uh, put the cafe where it is intentionally. It's kind of right in the middle of a, a fairly neglected stretch of North Avenue with lots of boarded-up storefronts, um, abandoned homes and litter and broken windows. So we, we wanted to go right in the middle and put what was needed. So we are aware that about one-third of our neighbors within a one-mile radius are living under what Wisconsin calls the poverty level, and then a whole bunch of other neighbors are hovering right above it or right at it. So we wanted to go right where the need was greatest. So we um, are also aware that food insecurity is rising, not just because of the pandemic, but it was definitely exacerbated by that. Food insecurity is a reality for more families than we would want to, um, to realize. It's about 25% up in some counties in the state of Wisconsin mm. than it has been in years past. So people don't know where their next meal will come from, and that can be really frightening, or they have to make choices about who gets to eat or what they get to eat. So a lot of people are eating corner store food, and kids are eating Jolly Ranchers, Flaming Hot Cheetos, and Mountain Dew as a dinner. Mm -hmm. And we uh, learned of those things, and we said, this can't be happening. It shouldn't be happening. There's an excess of food. We just need to redistribute the food to where it needs to go. Yeah. So and I heard a ridiculous statistic a while ago, and I think I was interviewing Feeding America, and they, I can't recall offhand what the number was, but it was in the billions, the dollars uh, mm -hmm. of food that is wasted in a year. Yes. And, and it's wonderful that, again, you're looking at what is really needed and mm -hmm. saying, okay, this – <laughs> how can we put these two together? There's food being wasted. There's people that need food. Let's find a solution. Yeah, 100 billion pounds of food every year is wasted before it even leaves the farm mm. <laughs> or even gets from the store to someone's table. So we have friends that go around the city and find that excess food. We partner with the McCannon Brown Homeless Sanctuary from their gardens and their excess, and we somehow bring all of that beautiful produce in and make meals from it every day, and we're mm. serving about 200 people a week, and some people volunteer in exchange for their food. If they have nothing at all to offer monetarily, they can give of their time, picking up litter around the building, bussing tables, packing snack bags for kids. Uh, we, we jokingly call it trickle-bee economics. <laughs> <laughs> we know that trickle-down economics doesn't seem to work for those uh, who are down, uh, but trickle-bee economics honors that each person has something to offer. They're bringing mm, something love to, that. to give to the community. Love that. And you also offer things other than food, like toiletries and uh, clothing, Right. Yes, yep, and we have snack bags for kids. Any child can come in any day that we're open and get a snack bag, and we have, it's all organic food, real ingredients in the in the lists. There's no dye, no um, chemicals. So kids come by after school. They know that we're there. They can always get a snack bag. Maybe that would be their dinner. It's not a true dinner, but it's something better than what the alternative is. Mm -hmm. And the beautiful part is these kids, some of them were coming in for years, and then they graduate high school and sometimes they'll stop back in and get a deep hug and say remember me and we're like what you're a grown person now <laughs> how did that but, happen but Where'd it made an go? impact their only encounter with us was those snack bags but they remember being loved and fed mm. so they'll they'll come in we have um, one customer who eats at the cafe because her doctor she had a heart attack about a month ago and her doctor said you can't eat what you're eating anymore 
you need to make a change and she doesn't know how but she knows that what we make is healthy it's plant-based um, low fat it's it's fresh food and organic food as much as possible so she'll come and eat almost as a prescription from her doctor every mm. day she'll eat a meal there mm. we have another customer who doesn't look like she's um, impoverished or doesn't look like someone who would need the help but she had lost her job during the pandemic and she came in one day and I saw her put something in the bucket after she ate I didn't know if it was a donation but it was a note and she said you know I had, I'd lost my job I didn't have anything to eat at home, and I knew that I could come here and be fed. Mm-hmm. And that's why we're there. We, we don't care who you are, what your background is, how much money you make or don't make. We just we want everyone to get a meal, which they deserve. Mm, that's got to be so fulfilling mm-hmm. for you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, we're called to help in some way those that uh, or to share what we can, whatever that is, with, with others. Um, mm-hmm. how, how does your faith impact your work. Right. So our motto at the cafe is that we offer healthy meals, food service training, and spiritual nourishment, which is kind of the the clincher for us. The food is sort of the means to to get people (laughs) to come by so we can bolster them up on a spiritual level. So sometimes that means a hug, sometimes just sitting and listening when someone needs to cry. Sometimes people ask for prayer because they know where we are. We are interfaith as well, even though I'm I'm from a Christian background. We have all sorts of people volunteering and working there. But it's a safe place. Um, we have a tagline under our logo that says, Cheerful Hearts, Continual Feast, Cozy Chapel. Mm. So people will come in sometimes and say, well, where's the chapel? And we're like, well, you're in it. <laughs> it's kind of a, it's a cafe and a chapel. It's all, all intertwined. And above our kitchen window, we have the... The front part of an old um, Holy Communion table from a church that closed, it says, in remembrance of me. And we put it intentionally above the kitchen window because we consider what we do an extension of that Holy Communion table, Mm. that that sacramental nature of of feasting and remembering is happening in all that we do there. Mm. You have a chafe. Yes, that's right. Yeah, a new name. (laughs) (laughs) One woman came in... um, very distraught. It was a really busy day a couple of years ago. We were so busy, and she, I could see that she was, you know, weeping. And so I kind of reached out. I invited her to sit down and have some water. And she said, are, are you a priest? I said, well, I'm ordained. She said, I could really use communion right now. Aww. So I sat her down, and I kind of looked around. We found some croutons in the kitchen and a little grape juice box from a kid's bag. And I blessed the elements, and we, we did the words of institution, and we partook together and she instantly just looked like this calm came over her. Mm. And that's exactly what she needed in that moment. I've never done that since, <laughs> but um, mm. that was what she needed, and that's what we could offer. And I don't know if it's, you know, was appropriate for me to do it in that setting, but it's what we do. And it was what she needed, yes. and you stepped up, and you were an impact player, as right. we say. Yeah. Well, what would you say to someone who wants to start an endeavor like Tricklebee Cafe? What's your words of advice, words of wisdom? Number one word of advice is go for it. Don't be intimidated by the enormity of putting everything together. I am a pastor by training. I have no experience in starting restaurants or running kitchens. I got some of that training over the years, but it's not my, my background. Um, I was a Russian language major in college. <laughs> I, mean, I'm, I felt a little out of my element at first, but the, the passion is real. I felt the draw to do this work, and I trusted that. And I also found the people 
who had the gifts that I lacked and brought them very close to me <laughs> so we could make it happen because I can't do all things. Contrary to the verse that says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, I cannot do all things. So I, I can do things through my community. So I, I brought the people in, and I would say look for them uh, to help you in your endeavor, and then also raise funds early. Even before you have a space, just get the vision out there and let people know they can support as as the vision grows. Hmm. It makes me think, uh, I don't know where it is, uh, where the address is, but it makes me think of um, uh, the words that God doesn't call the equipped, he, he equips the called. Mm-hmm. And so you're a testament to that, right. I think, with what you were just sharing, which is, which is wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, what would you say are your greatest needs right now? So for those listening... Uh, who are intrigued by Trickle Bee Cafe and want to help in some way, What's the, what would you say is, is the, the greatest need? Uh, volunteers are always helpful. We rely on about 12 volunteers a week to help us do our daily operations in the kitchen. A lot of it is washing and chopping the fresh vegetables that are donated, serving the food, plating the food. Um, in-kind donations are also a big blessing. We use a lot of canned beans and rice, um, some Bulk spices are often nice to get. So if you're ever out shopping and you want to just grab something like that or dish soap or floor cleaner, um, the kitchen gloves, the uh, latex gloves that we use, those kind of things are always helpful for us. And then we have an annual fundraiser where we, our biggest income generator is a silent auction. So any new items that you want to donate anytime, all year round, we put those into nice baskets in our auction. Wonderful. Yeah. Wow. A lot of nice things going on there. What's the best way for people to uh, reach out to you? Actually, Facebook is probably our number one contact spot. We have over 5,000 followers, and we're really quick to respond through the messenger there. And um, if you want to reach out that way, or our website is also a way to contact us. Our address is org. And our email and phone number is all listed there. Wonderful. That's easy. We mm-hmm. like it when it's yeah. easy. Thank you. <laughs> well, I want to thank both my guests today, Sister McCannon Brown from the McCannon Brown Homeless Sanctuary and Reverend Christy Gibbons from Trickle Bee Cafe. I just want to thank you both for all you do for the housing and, and food insecurity needs in our community. So thank you for participating in our interview today. Thank you. You're welcome. If you'd like further information about what we talked about today, or if you'd like to be considered as a guest on the show, you can email me at jill at ellenbecker.com, or you can call our office at 262-691-3200. Join us next Sunday morning at 10 to learn more about the ways people and organizations are inspiring others and making an impact in our community. You can tune in to News Talk 1130 on your radio, or you can go to newstalk1130.com on your computer, or you can listen on your cell phone via the iHeartRadio app. I would encourage you to visit our website at ellenbecker.com to listen to previously aired shows, or you can listen on demand at Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcast, or Google Play. So the next time you pass someone standing on the corner asking for money, think about what you might be able to do to help them in some way. This may be one of those people that the homeless sanctuary or trickle bee serves. They may have housing or food insecurities or or challenges of some kind, and they just need a little help to get them through. Maybe you can start your own McMission or something similar. It's nice to have some kind of family legacy that incorporates old and new traditions that help the needy in some way. Maybe you're going to be that catalyst for change that someone needs at just the right time. You never know. You may never know 
exactly what someone needs at any given time, but you can be something that everyone needs at one time or another, and that is to be a blessing. And in so doing, you will be giving a blessing as well. It's actually a double blessing where the giver and the receiver benefit. So how great is that? So my call to action is to go out and be a blessing and give a blessing this holiday season, as well as throughout the year. Have a wonderful day.